Welcome to Harvest Valley Worship Center's Sermon of the Week. You can discover more about our church, pastors, and special guests at hvwc.com. We hope that you are blessed by today's message. All right, we're so glad to be here. Now you know how weird I am, so that's good. I do stuff like this all the time. Okay, I'll give you one more. This is just typically me. When my kids, my kids are grown now, but when my kids were, well, they're old. They're not always grown. But, okay, moving on. So they, when my kids were in high school, there was a young man that, that I think he had a crush on my oldest daughter. And so he, she had invited him to church, and so he's coming to church because he has a crush on the pastor's daughter. And so um, just the sweetest young man, very shy, kind of, you know, a little bit backward. But I go out, and I just want to make sure that I, I, you know, love on this young man. And I greet him well, and I let him know he's welcome. And, and so um, he's, his dad is, is actually Mexican, and his mom is um, Asian. I'm not sure what. But anyway, so we're out in the lobby, and I'm introducing myself. And I'm like, hey, I'm Nancy. I'm Lydia's mom. And I said, now, what is your name again? And he goes, and he says, Thun Lee. And I said, and I want to be so careful because I want to get it right. And I'm not good at remembering names, period. And I said, okay, Thun Lee. And he, and he started laughing. He goes, <laughs> he keeps trying. Finally, my daughter walks up. She goes, Thun Lee, mom. He had a lisp. Yeah, I did that. I did that. But I bought the boy McDonald's. I took him home after every service, and I bought him anything he wanted at McDonald's every night. So he loved me. He loved me. Even though I pronounced his name with a lip. It's the sweetest kid. He was these, I know, I was such a, I'm such a dork sometimes. But, you know, I make God laugh, so that's good. You know, I entertain him. So um, I want to talk with us today about the purposefulness of God. And I want... I'm going to try to be concise. I'm not great at that, but I'm going to really try to be concise. But I want to walk us through this not only as a personal journey for individuals here, but I believe it's a word for this house, and it's a word for what God's going to do with this house in this region. So we're going to walk through one story in the Old Testament and then quickly walk through one in the New, and I'm going to tie them all together. So hang on and follow with me, okay? So we're going to start in 2 Kings. We're going to go to chapter 4. This is going to be a little bit lengthy, but it's important. So I'm go- I am going to read it through with you, and, and we're going to walk through this. Um, <clears throat> this is a, a, an encounter and a relationship, a friendship that the prophet Elisha has with someone that God intertwined their lives together. So starting in verse 8, it says, One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by there, he stopped to eat. Hospitality is very common in this area. It would be common to have somebody come in, especially if maybe they, we don't know whether he asked for a meal or not, but uh, it would be very common to be hospitable and have someone in for a meal. Elisha, if you don't know, is a prophet of God. He, like, major, major prophet of God, has incredible miracles happen. So he's going through Shunem. Now, in many translations, they, they literally call her the Shunammite woman. They just identify her by where she's from. I think it's very significant 
that they do that and that, and that the Bible tells us where she's located because Shunem is actually one of the territories, territories that was given to the tribe of Issachar. The sons of Issachar had this as part of their territory. What are the sons of Issachar known for? Knowing the times and seasons. So I don't think that is um, a coincidence that this woman is, is settled there and she is part of that, that knowing, being in the land of people who know their, their calling and their gifting is to know the times and seasons of God. So he's stopping there every time he comes through now. They're developing a friendship. She's just being generous. She's very wealthy. She's able to do that. She's able to um, share. So in verse 9, she says to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Now, if you look in the original, it's more than just saying he's holy or moral. She's actually saying, this is a man of God. This is a prophet. Like, this is not just an ordinary person this is he is a he is a holy man of God he is a prophet she says let's make a small room on the roof and let's put in it a bed and a table a chair and a lamp for him and then whenever he comes he can stay whenever he comes to us so they did this and then in verse 11 it says one day Elisha came he went up to his room and he lay down there he said to his servant Gehazi call the Shunammite call this woman to me so he called her, and she stood before him. And Elisha said to him, Tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now, what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or a commander of an army? Now, let me pause right here. Elisha wouldn't offer that kind of favor if he didn't have the relationship and the authority to pull it off. So what's really interesting is this man, who she doesn't really know, comes. She offers him a meal. She just thinks she's being hospitable. I don't, I don't know. I don't know whether she knew or not. But my bet is that she didn't really know the door God was opening for her. She just thought she was being hospitable. Then, as she's developing this friendship with him, she, the, she's catching it. She's starting to discern, wow, this man is called of God. I'm, I'm going to honor this. I'm going to honor him. She wasn't trying to get anything out of him. You'll see that in just a second. Pause right now and let me tell you that sometimes you think you're just being nice and you don't know what door God just opened. Sometimes you think, oh, I'm just serving. Oh, I'm just greeting people on the parking lot. Oh, I'm just, I just do kids. Oh, I'm just whatever. Oh, I'm, I'm, I just try to do my best at work. And you have no idea that God is pinpointing you. And he, has, he is marking that down. There are two kinds of time. There's kairos or kairos, some people pronounce it. And, and then there's chronos. Chronos is, is like chronological, like tick, 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 tick. Kairos is like, here comes a window of opportunity. And you gotta, you got to jump through the window while the window's going by. It's not a chronological, it's a, are you catching? Are you catching the window? Jump. So I want you to pay attention through this story, how God weaves 
Kronos and Kairos and how he, he not only works what he's working in her life, but he's working what he's working in the kingdom. Okay? So let's keep going as I poke myself in the eye. Okay. So um, she says to him, he says, well, can, what can I do? Do you want me to talk to a king? Do you need you got some legal issue you need me to settle? you want me to talk to a commander of an army? What do you need? What can I do for you? And she says, ah, I have a home here among my own people. And Elijah asks Gehazi again. I mean, this is probably taking place over a little bit of time. And he says to his servant, he says, I don't know. What, what can we do for her? What can be done for her? And Gehazi says, well, she has no son. And her husband's old. So the insinuation is, now if you know the culture, it was usually seen as the woman's job to provide. And, and the woman was seen as, I mean, it, 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 it fared well on the men to have large families, but it was a disgrace to a woman if she didn't provide. That was just the culture. And, and then if you were a woman without a son, you were probably going to be in trouble when your husband died. Now, she's wealthy, so we don't know. She may have been fine when her husband died. Usually, women were destitute if they did not have sons to take care of them. And aside from that, just, just even not financially, but just to take care of her. So she, she has no sons. And, and it's gone on so long without her being able to have a son that now her husband is old. So now we have a bigger challenge. So Gehazi says, well, ah, if you really want to know something that could probably, she'd probably like, she didn't have a son, and her husband's old. So in other words, we need some supernatural help here, right? Then Elisha says, call her. So he called her back. She stood in the doorway, and Elisha says to her, about this time next year, you'll hold a son in your arms. Her response is a little surprising, but I can understand it because she says, oh, no, my Lord, please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. Have you ever wanted something so badly you were afraid to hope for it? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, like it's deep in your heart, but you're, it, it's so the disappointment of not having it and not understanding why you don't have it is so painful that you're even, you've just decided I'm not going to ask anymore. I'm, I'm just not going to hope for that. And then I won't have to go through the pain of disappointment. And I, she was there. He, here the prophet of God tells her, you're going to have a son next, next time this year. And she's like, don't, don't mess with me. You know, seriously. She's like, don't, don't mess with me. You don't, you're not understanding how much this hurts. So here's an interesting thing. <laughs> she never let on that she needed anything or longed for anything, but God knows the secrets of your heart. And God puts desires in your heart, but he doesn't put them in there just to jack with you. He doesn't put them in there just to frustrate you. But sometimes we have to wait a long, long time. Sometimes we're thinking... Oh, this is, okay, I've got to be careful because I'll go too extreme. This is Satan in my life. We're rebuking. We're, you know, don't you know that every month she's just rebuking things? 
Because every month her heart's broken again. You know? And, 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 and don't you know that everybody around her, see, in that culture, when you didn't have, when you, when, when you weren't blessed the way they thought God should bless you, they thought something was wrong with you. So they're like, what, what sin is in your life? What's wrong with you? So she's prob probably, I can't say for sure, she's probably enduring some murmuring behind her back about, wonder why, wonder what's up with her. You know? But sometimes we rebuke and we cry out and we're like, this is Satan, Satan's it's such a spiritual battle, it's such a spiritual battle, and God's going, no, it's not. I just have something here. It's just not time yet. So we spend all this emotional and spiritual energy whining, complaining, and fighting demons that aren't even in the room. I know sometimes, I know there's spiritual battles. I understand that. Be real careful that you abide closely enough to the Lord that you actually can understand what he's doing in your life. And don't assume that everything that you don't understand and everything that disappoints you is a spiritual battle. Maybe the spiritual battle is that you need to get a new attitude. Or me. Or, or me. Me. Just talking to you the way God talks to me, man. He's like, girl. Okay, so let's go on. So she says, oh, don't, don't mislead me. Verse 17. But the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son. Just as Elisha had told her. The child grew. So she gets this thing she dreamed of and wanted so badly she didn't even dare say it. He grows up. He went out with his dad. He's hanging out with his dad in the field. They're, all, they're, they're reaping the harvest. He's hanging out with his dad. And then he says to his dad, oh, my head. My, oh, my head. And it gets so bad that he, the, the dad gets one of his servants and says, take him back to the house to his mom and, and tell her to look at him, take care of him. So he says, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up, and carried him to his mother. The boy sat on her lap until noon and then died. I know, right? Like, I didn't ask for this, God. I didn't even want the pain of the disappointment of it not happening. I did not ask for this. And now you, you let me fall in love with him. And you, you know, when you have kids, it's like, it's like part of your heart walks out the door. Every time they walk out the door. So it's like, and now you, now he dies? So you can, you can't, now it doesn't say that he was immaculately conceived. That only happened with Jesus. But he was supernaturally conceived. Because the husband was too old for this. So, which means she probably was too. Honestly, because usually the women are too old first. I don't know. We don't know their ages. Anyway, but she's. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how she felt? Can you imagine her wonderment at God? 
But I love, man, I want, I want this woman to be my friend. In heaven, we're going to be buddies. <laughs> she takes her son, who is small enough to sit on her lap, right? He sat on her lap. She, she took him up, and she laid him on the bed of the man of God. She didn't go put, her, put him in her bed or his bed. She's like, okay. I really think right then she was saying, all right, all right, God. You gave me this child. Let's go back to where this started. And she takes him up, and she says, this is where the promise was made. This, is, this room represents the person who, 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 by the authority of God, gave me my heart's desire. So we're going right back here. And she puts that boy on, on Elisha's bed. And then she calls out to her husband, and she says, Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go see the man of God quickly and I'll return. And the husband says, why are you going to him today? So she hasn't told the husband what's going on yet. Sometimes that's better. <laughs> it's a true word. I'm sorry. It's just true. Like, just take care of it and then you can tell him the story later. Says, please... <laughs> Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go see the man of God and then I'll quickly return. And he goes, why? Why are you going today? It's not, a, it's not a new moon. It's not a festival. And it's not the Sabbath. Why are you going today? She said, no, it's all right. So she saddles the donkey. Now, I got to say this. She's obviously a woman who, who is not, she is not emotionally, I'm not against emotions. I love, this is my favorite saying about emotions. Emotions are like toddlers. You can't put them in the trunk, but you can't let them drive. It's my favorite saying. You know? As a parent, my job is to teach the child to control themselves. Right? Control yourself. Anyway, so. Um, so, but she's not phased. She's obviously not hysterical. You know, or even showing this because the husband doesn't know it. He's like, what's up? She's like, it's okay. She had amazing faith. She didn't know what was going to happen, but she's like, I'm going to go see the one that started this. Let's go, let's go take care of this. So um, she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, lead on. Don't slow down for me unless I tell you to. So she set out and, and and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Hey, there's a Shunammite. Run and meet her and ask her, are you okay? Is your husband okay? Is your child okay? Okay, so what I love about this is, oh, i got to be so careful because I can come off really crass. She was not high maintenance. You know, a lot of people, when they get in front of a prophet, they're like, could you, could you, could you? Could you tell, I know you're exhausted, but can I get a word? And you're like, you just said you know I'm exhausted. I don't, sorry, that's going over your heads. Never mind. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like, she, she wasn't afraid to go to him for something that needed to be taken care of by him. But obviously, she was not high maintenance because when he saw her coming, he was like, go see what's wrong with her. This is, this is unusual. Go see what's up. I'm not telling you not to reach out to people. I'm probably too much the other way, but I'm just 
some good advice. Um, so um, go see what's wrong. When, uh, when she reached reach the, okay, I'm not there yet. Uh, look, there's a Shunammite. Run, meet her, and ask her, are you okay? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? So, so Gehazi, the servant, comes out and says, blah, blah, blah. She says, everything's okay. That wasn't a statement about this little circumstance is okay. That was a statement of faith to say, I don't know quite what's going on here, but I know my God. Everything's okay. She didn't know for sure if he was going to be raised from the dead or if she was going to bury him. What she knew was, I trust my God. When she reached the man of God, so she kept going. She's not going to stop. She keeps going all the way to Elisha. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but for some reason the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Now she says to him, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, oh, tuck your cloak in your belt. In other words, get, this is what we call it, girding up your loins. Like, get, get your, tuck everything in so you can run. Take my staff and run. He says, don't greet anyone you meet. If anyone greets you, don't answer. Lay my staff on this boy's face. It wasn't that the staff was magic. It was that he was sending it as a, a token of his anointing, right? Same, same reason we pray over claws when we can't get to someone. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. I, lo I love when mamas step up. Yeah. And the prophet of God goes, okay, let's go. <laughs> you know, like... Like, he could have looked at her and said, I just sent my staff. But the mama said, excuse me, I am not leaving. You know? And Elisha goes, right, let's go. You know? I know, I love it. I love it. There's something about having a mama bear in the picture, right? Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face. We're in verse 31. But there was no sound or response. So Gehazi, he's gone so quickly that now he can actually go back and he's meeting them on their way. He went to meet back Elisha and said, the boy is not awakened. 32, when Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch, on his bed. He went in. He shut the door on the two of them, he and the boy. And he prayed. And then he got on the bed and he lay on the boy and he mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hand to hand. And as he stretched himself out, the boy's body grew warm. <laughs> There's something about impartation, is there not? I know it was a supernatural miracle, but it was interesting that he did it in a way that was imparting. Right? Like breath to breath, you know, hand to hand. Yeah, come on. He got on the, uh, um, as, he, as he stretches it, the, body, the body grew warm. Elisha turned away, so he gets off, and he's like, okay, all right, all right. But the boy's not coming to life yet. So he's like pacing the room, praying, asking the Lord, okay, okay, what are we doing here? All right. And then he got out on the bed again, and he stretched himself once more. The boy sneezed seven times, and then he opened his eyes. <laughs> Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. 
And he did. And when she came, he said, take your son. And she came in, and she fell at his feet, and she bowed to the ground. And then she took her son, and she went out. Okay. There we are. He's, he's raised from the dead. Now, pop over to, verse, to chapter 8 in 2 Kings. We're going to start right at the first. This is later on, right? Later on, a few years down the road. Now, Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, go away with your family and stay for a while wherever you can because the Lord has decreed a famine in the land that will last for seven years. Again, she just thought she was serving dinner. Now, because she has honored the prophet of God, because she has honored someone for who they are in the kingdom. I love that last night you, you said the whole verse. Because so many people, the, uh, if you weren't here last night, Chris was reading the verse that says, if you honor a prophet in the name of the prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. If you honor a righteous man in the name of a righteous man, you receive a righteous man's reward. And so many people stop after the prophet. And I'm like, that, you know, but you got to the whole point. The whole point is we need to honor people for who they are in the kingdom. Yes. We need to have the discernment. To know, to see, remember how in the New Testament it says that we know them by the Spirit? We've got to learn to to recognize people not by their their humanness. I'm not saying that's bad. God made me a human. But we've got to learn to recognize people according to the Spirit. So that I can recognize, man, you're a woman of God. Wow, these giftings are in you. Sometimes when we're really, we were talking about this. I was talking about this with Dave last night. Where's Dave? There you are. Sometimes we get too familiar with people and we don't value who they are in the kingdom. I can do that with my husband because I know the man. And he's wonderful, but he couldn't hit a laundry basket if you held a gun to his head. Sometimes, but after it's been there a long while, you know, but sometimes we can get so familiar with people that we don't see them according to the spirit. And then we, we minimize who they could be in our lives for the good. We minimize who we can be as the body because we have become too familiar and we're not seeing people according to the spirit. She just thought she was making dinner. But then she had the discernment to go, oof, this guy knows God. So she just honored him more. She wasn't trying to get anything out of him. But she ended up with her heart's deepest desire. And now the prophet has grown to love this family. And now when he didn't have to, the prophet comes to her and says, hey, God has decreed a famine in this land and you need to go someplace else. It's going to be seven years, so go where you can go. Take your family. Now her life is saved, and her family's lives are saved, all because she honored, and she had the discernment to see him according to the Spirit. Right? Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, go away with your family, stay for a while wherever you can, because the Lord has decreed a famine in the land that will last seven years. The woman proceeded to do... As the man of God said, that's important. When you get somebody who you honestly, and, and I know we, we all have the Holy Spirit once we receive Christ. So I, 
if something doesn't sit in your spirit, I understand flushing it. That's what we call it at our church. Like, it's okay, just flush it. You know? Because sometimes you'll, you'll, get a, you'll get a bad word once in a while. You know? But when you, when you need to ask the Lord, is this a word from the Lord? And then you need to obey it. Even if you don't understand it all. Right? She and her family went away, and they stayed in the land of the Philistines for seven years. At the end of the seven years, she came back. Right? See, she trusted that too. Famine's over. I'm going back. She and her family come back from the land of the Philistines, and they, go to, they went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. So apparently while she was gone, they had squatters on her land, and now she's not able to get her land back, but it's hers. So she goes to the king. I don't know if you're catching that everything Elijah asked her if she needed, she has needed. She just didn't know she needed it yet. And everything he offered her, she now, it, it, it wasn't when she thought that window wasn't then, but now the window's here. Yeah. So she goes to the king to ask for her land back. This is crazy. Listen to the story. You're like, I would if you'd keep reading and quit talking. <laughs> Be quiet. Don't say that to me. Okay, no. All right. <laughs> the king was talking to Gehazi. Who's Gehazi? Elisha's servant. Oh, wow, what a coincidence. That Gehazi just happens to be talking to the king when this woman who lost her land walks up to ask and appeal for her land back. The king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, and he said, hey, tell me about the great things Elisha has done. Another coincidence. Just as Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, the woman, the Shunammite woman, whose son Elisha had brought back to life, walked into the room to appeal for her land. Sometimes you walk in on people talking about you, and it's not fun. This one was so cool. Literally, they're talking about her. And God lines up Kairos with Kronos, and he says, walk in here. She doesn't know. She's not trying. She's not like out in the hall going, okay, he's almost ready to talk about me. She doesn't know that. She literally just goes in. And God has sovereignly lined it up. So she walks in the room. Gehazi says, Ah, this is the woman, my lord the king. And this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. So the king says, No way. It's a different version, but and says and says to the Shunammite, "Okay, I want to hear this firsthand. You tell me the story. Tell me the story." And she tells him all about it. This is the response. Then the king assigns an official to her case, and said to him, "Give back everything that belonged to her, including the income." 
from her land from the day she left the country until now. She got restored stuff she didn't even work for. Yes, Jesus. Let, let the testimony of Jesus be the spirit of prophecy. Come on. How many of you want things you didn't work for? Never mind. All right. You're too holy, but I'm not. Okay. All right. Are you catching how crazy this story is? This is how purposeful God is. And, and most times we would look at it and we would go, God doesn't care about some woman in Shunem, just nobody knows her, doing her thing, whatever, you know. God wouldn't do all that. And God goes, oh, yes, I would. Yes, I would. Watch me. And he lines up everything in her life and, and <clears throat> all she's doing to step into it is just being faithful she's just being faithful and she's honoring and god's like yep yep i can bless that yep i'm gonna bless that yep watch me bless that i've I feel like, we talked about this a little bit the other night at dinner, <clears throat> but I feel like this is a word for this body. I th it's a word for us individually, of course, but it's a word for this body because I really want to encourage you, just do your thing. Do what God's put on your heart. Be faithful. Love on people when God gives you the chance to love on people. Get people healed when God gives you the chance to get people healed. You, you don't know. You, you just think you're just doing this, and you don't know how God is lining things up. And a lot of it you aren't even going to know till eternity. You're going to go through this whole life thinking, oh, that's not really a big deal. And you're going to get to heaven and find thousands of people lined up between the one person you minister to. And you get credit for all of it. Years ago, we had the opportunity and the privilege to meet Bob Jones. I don't know if you guys know who Bob Jones is. He's a hoot and a half, massive, just as hick as can be, and brilliant beyond brilliant. Prophet of God, off the charts. I mean, like ways people can't even get. Like you would look at it and go, really? You know how a dog does that when they don't know? Yeah, that's us. So we get the privilege to go meet Bob Jones, and, and one of the things he said to Shannon and I was, well, he's very hick, well, you tried a lot of things, and they failed. It's like, thank you. <laughs> Nothing like the encouragement of the Lord. No. He goes, you tried a lot of things, and they failed. He said, they weren't bad ideas. It just wasn't time yet. I'm telling you, in our individual lives and as a church body, trust me, we've pastored for decades. And it's felt like centuries, but we've pastored for decades. And, and sometimes, sometimes you, you try something and you're like, I don't, I don't know. I just feel like there was no fruit off of that. And I don't know. Okay, there may be fruit you don't know about, 
Or it may just not have been time. You know, it could be that woman saying, why has God not given me a son all these years? And now my husband's too old. And God's like, because I don't want to just give you a son. I want to save your life. And I want to give you more than you worked for. I want to give you all these things. I want to give you a friendship with a man of God who knows me and has my heart. I, he wanted to give her all these things. But if he'd given her the son back here, when everybody thought it was logical, she wouldn't have gotten all of this. God is so purposeful in our lives. Just do your thing. Live your life. Be faithful. Love God. Say yes when he asks. It's really not that complicated. And you won't see all the fruit in this life. And then you may get to see some. You don't know. Shannon went to college with two young men. One of them was the son of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Do you know who that is? They were missionaries. Were there the Inca Indians? Who was it? Aka. See, I told you I'm bad. I would say it with a lisp. Anyway. So they, they go, I'm going to abbreviate it. There's a movie called Gate, Through the Gates of Splendor. You can watch the movie. It'll tear you up. So, but here's the end of the movie. So, not really. Here's the end of the story. So they, they go, these, these Indians um, are uh, cannibals. Very demonic, horrid cannibals. So they do this thing where they, they fly one of them has, is a pilot. They have a small plane. <clears throat> they fly into this lagoon area where these Indians live, <clears throat> and they drop gifts over and over and over. <clears throat> they finally feel like one day God is saying, okay, you can meet them now. They're ready to meet them. They really did feel like God said that, and I think God did. They fly to the lagoon. The men, the husbands, all the husbands, the wives are back. The kids are back We're at their base. They fly. They land. They get out. They have gifts. They go to meet them. The Indians come, kill them all. Leave them floating with swords through their guts in the lagoon. The women see this. The women, the women find out. They, they, you know, they're not answering the radio. They're not, you know, they, they send out people to figure out what happened. These Indians killed every one of these these missionaries that was in the plane left all these young widows. They were young, young, maybe their thirties, maybe, right? All the kids have no dads now. So everybody's like, well, the women are going to come home now. You know, we gave it a shot, maybe another 50 years, you know, the women were like, nope. Our husbands weren't the only missionaries here. We were, we came to reach these people. As much as our husbands did, we are not leaving. So they, and did I say that wrong? Was it, was it Elliot's son or was it one another, another missionary? I don't want to say it incorrectly. One of those missionaries that was killed on that plane, his son. So the women stay, 
And over the course of time, the women are able to contact and meet and love on, give medical care to, teach all this, these Indians who killed their husbands. Fast forward, and when my husband went to Bible school, two of the young men in his Bible school were the son of one of the missionaries who was killed and the head chief of the tribes who killed them, other son. And they sat next to each other in Bible class. Here's my somewhat controversial thought. Not to me, just to other people. I'm really good with it because I thought of it. But, no. <laughs> Chris made a great statement the other night that we are far too concerned about our comfort. And when things that are hard for us happen, we want to say always, well, that's of the devil. I don't think God is abusive. I don't think God gives disease. I don't think he, you know, I don't think, I think God was grieved when those missionaries were killed. But I don't argue with the fact that they believe God told them to go in that day. What does the Bible say? Unless a seed falls to the ground, it can bear no harvest. Could it be that God knew they were willing to lay down their lives? If that was a cost that had to be paid to bring those Indians to the Lord, do you not think, obviously those men were willing to pay it. Is murder from hell? Yes. But does God know that that momentary pain, because you have to, here's the problem. We compare things to our life on earth, and we forget that this is not the only part of our life. We will live eternally. What did Paul say? He said, my momentary troubles are nothing. So it sounds terrible to say, oh, your husband was killed and you're, you know, and you had to stay there without your husband. What a little momentary trouble. That sounds that sounds so uncaring. But God said it. He said, "Hey, I've got you. And my grace will carry you." I think God thinks more of us than we think of ourselves. Because I think God is like, and he knows, he knows who he can be in our lives. So God says, this is going to be really hard. But I know who I can be in them. And I made them amazing. They're going to be okay. They're going to be more than okay. They're going to be more than conquerors. I was thinking last night about how God never, he, okay, I can't say never. God doesn't focus on the battle, the battle, the battle, the battle, the battle. He focuses on 
the victory. And so many times in our lives, we get traumatized by the battle and we get stuck. And God's like, I've made you victorious. And I've made you more than a conqueror. What does that mean? I've not only made you a conqueror, I've made you someone who establishes the kingdom after you've conquered. But if you're stuck in your trauma, how are you going to establish the kingdom? Because the kingdom doesn't look like your trauma. It's not that God didn't care about your trauma, but he meant for that to be a momentary trouble. Not a trouble that your whole life gets wrapped around the rest of your life. Uh, it's really not uncaring for me to say that. It's not that I don't care about the trauma. It's that I really don't want you there anymore. Come on, that hurts too much. That's not God's plan. Whatever that is, whatever happened, whatever disappointment, whoever failed you, whoever hurt you, whoever did what. And I mean, I say this as a person that can really tend to hang on to things because I have a super high justice gift. Like, I want justice. And God's like, I learned this the other day, though. You know what justice is? It's when Jesus gets what he paid for. Nuts. Nuts and a half, right? Because what Jesus paid for was for those people that jacked me up to be free. And to be amazing men and women of God. That's justice for Jesus. And I'm like, oh, crud. Okay. It's like what Shannon said last night, you know? It's like, it's like when, when Jonah goes, I don't want to talk to them because I know what kind of God you are and you're just going to forgive them. God likes, suck it up, Jonah. Like, you know. So here, here's the point of that. What time is it? I'm going to hurry really fast. Here, <clears throat> here's the point with that. Not only individually for us, but as this body. Here's why understanding how purposeful God is is important for you. Pop over to John 2. And I'm, I'm going to super quickly go through this story. This is the first miracle of Jesus. And I, I will be honest with you and tell you that I did not understand why he chose this for his first miracle. It made no sense to me. I did not like it. I disagreed with him on it. <laughs> he didn't seem to care, so it's still there. And then the other day, honestly, as dumb as this is, I am 58. I got saved when I was five. I've been saved for like over half a century. How dumb. I never caught this before. God's like, whoo, okay. I'm listening because I listen to books a lot and listen to the Bible stuff. I, um, I'm a multitasker, which isn't always good. But I'm listening to this story, and I finally catch, ah, oh, it makes perfect sense. And God's like, oh, thanks. I feel so much better now that you... Agree with me. Um, <clears throat> he's kind of dependent on me, but I, you know, he's a good guy. So anyway, okay. So let's read it. I'm going to walk you through it, but I'm going to walk you through it fast. Because I always thought this was about, like, I didn't understand the whole wine thing. And then you got people who are like, just walk and drink. And I'm like, I don't, if you need to drink, you probably shouldn't drink. If you don't need to drink, you probably can. 
I don't know. It's you. It's never mind. And then there's other people who are like, this is about Jesus caring for people not being embarrassed because the family would have been embarrassed. And I'm like, oh, he doesn't seem to care when I'm embarrassed. I don't know. <laughs> I just, you know, I don't know. There's so many, and I'm not saying any of those are inaccurate, but none of them made enough sense to me for this to be his first miracle. So I've just always not liked that he did this, but now, now I get it, and it makes perfect sense. Hey. So on the third day, <clears throat> a wedding took place. I'm just starting in verse 1, chapter 2, John. On the third day, a wedding took place in, at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Probably a family, friend, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Um, but they're going to a wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother turned to him and said, Hey, they have no more wine. Like, Bubba. That's what I do with my boys. Hey, I can't get the sound system to work. I don't, it's not just information. I'm like, fix this, you know? So she turns to Jesus and she says, hey, they have no more wine. Jesus, now this sounds harsh in this translation. It, it wasn't said the way we would say it. It says, woman, why do you involve me in this? I mean, honestly, I think if you called most Jewish mamas woman disrespectfully, you would feel it after so so a better translation a better translation would have been dear woman not like woman you know i mean my kids my kids would have been into you know 2050 they they would have already been that far because i would have knocked them there <laughs> says yeah woman why do you involve me my hour has not come yet he's saying it's it's not it's not time for me to be revealed as who I am, as the Messiah. I love this. His mom doesn't argue with him. She just turns to the servants and says, hey, do whatever he tells you. I, I love this mom. I love her. She's like, I'm, I'm just going to take care of this. So um, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each of them holding 20 to 30 gallons. So you can kind of imagine that. If you think about a 50-gallon barrel, go a little, go half or somewhere. Um, Jesus said to the servants, so Jesus did it, when his mom believed and his mom, I don't want to say pushed, but her heart of faith moved him into this. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now, uh, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside, and he said, Wow, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then they bring, like, the stuff from 7-Eleven after the guests <laughs> have had too much to drink. Oy vey. Okay. But you, have, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first sign through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Okay, so I know that's cool. I know it's supernatural. I never got why. And then the other day, finally, my thick-headedness was broken through. Because I'm listen, listen to how perfect, listen to how purposeful God is with this. I'm not discounting anything else anybody gets from it, because the Bible is so multi-layered. I understand. We can get something new every time we read it. I get that. But Jesus is headed, okay, here's Jesus, he's on the scene. He came as the Messiah, but he's not been revealed as the Messiah yet. 
It's not really, right now he's just Joseph's kid, right? And so he comes on the scene and, and his mom like says, hey, hey, I don't think she knew what she was really asking him either. She just wanted something taken care of and she knew, oh, my boy can take care of this. She didn't know how he was going to take care of it or what he was going to do. She just knew he was going to take care of it, right? He comes to what's the event? A wedding. What happens at a wedding? The, the bride is revealed. You got to understand that before this, We've had the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, 400 years, correct? And I'm not going to say God never talked to anybody then. I don't think God's like that. But he was not speaking to his people through the prophets. So they call it many times the silent years. So you've got 400 years where basically to their understanding, God has said nothing. And then Jesus comes to a wedding where the bride is revealed. And at the wedding, they had wine. They had had wine. They, were, they, they had already been drinking wine. But the wine, they thought, ran out. What does wine represent? The presence of God. The Bible talks about new wine. It's talking about the presence of God. So they'd had wine, but they thought, 400 years, the wine ran out. Jesus walks into a wedding, and the mom and his mom says, hey, they ran out of wine. And Jesus is like, no, they didn't. The stone... Pots that were standing there were, were for ceremonial washing. Yeah. Now, God initiated that. God actually gave the, the, the children of Israel a lot of, of health-related rules that actually were good for their health. But over the 400 years, the Jewish people and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, here's the deal. When you don't have relationship, you'll come up with religion. So we've had 400 years of no relationship, so they came up with a whole lot of religion. Whole lot of rules, because there's got to be, we must not be doing enough. Let's give you some more things to do, so God will approve of you. So that's what those were for, and now they had turned it into this very religious, we're going to look down our nose at you if you don't do this kind of thing. Interestingly enough, Jesus didn't make his disciples do it. And he got a lot of criticism for it. And you can read, you can read another story where Jesus is like, oh, listen, don't talk to me about this, you bunch of hypocrites. And he gives them examples of Corbin, things they would do anyway. So, so you have these, these pots, six. Well, they have six of them. What's six the number of? Man, are you following me? You have six pots filled with religion. They're for religion. They're made for religion. And Jesus says, 
Fill those with water. And then, you got to catch the whole thing. He's at the wedding. The bride's going to be revealed. He's the Messiah coming to usher in his bride. He says, fill those things meant for religion with water. Water also represents the Holy Spirit. Water, and then he changes it to the thing they thought they didn't have anymore. He changes it to wine. He changes it to the presence of God, to the anointing, because he's making a statement. Man was not meant to be filled with religion. He was meant to be filled with my presence. And he didn't just make a little bit. He made a lot. So when they thought there was no more wine, Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. No, I'm ushering in the bride. And I'm ushering in the fullness of my spirit. And the phrase they use is, you saved the best wine for last. I never, never caught it before. I just thought, well, of course he saved the best wine for last, stupid. He's God. God's not going to make, like, junky wine. I didn't understand I didn't understand that the whole miracle was Jesus saying, you didn't know what I was here for before. This is what I'm here for. I'm ushering in the bride. I'm taking religion out of man, and I'm filling them with my presence. I'm here. What? A wedding is made with a blood covenant. I'm ushering in the bride, and I'm doing it with a blood covenant. In the Jewish culture, they understood that very well. They actually waited for the sign that the marriage had been consummated with a blood covenant. He's literally giving the picture of this is what I'm here for. Of course it was his first miracle. Of course. It was like he was giving an outline for what he was getting ready to do. How does that go together with the Shunammite woman and the timing of God and the purposefulness of God? What does that do for this body? If God is so purposeful that he can line up this woman's life the way he did, line up kings, line up armies, line up everything the way he did, and then he's so purposeful that when Jesus first comes on the scene, he gives us an outline of what he's here for. The whole point is that he said, I have purpose for you. This is what I'm doing, and I have saved the best wine for last. Well, how are we going to reach all these people? How are we, how are we going to reach the down and outers? How are we going to reach people that have been so hurt by the church, they don't, they don't even want to look at a church? How are we going to reach people that they, they, they think that the church hates them? How are, we going to reach, how are we going to reach the rich and owners who think they don't need everything? They don't need God because they have everything. He saved the best wine for last. He knew, he knew that in this time, in this moment, in this both both. Kronos and Kairos moment, we need the best wine. We need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit 
because religion won't do it. And he knows how to line it up. He knows. He knows how to bring them in. He knows how to send you out. He knows how to line up your encounters. He knows. But he wants us full of wine, full of the anointing, full of the presence of the Holy Spirit so that we can actually accomplish everything he has purposed for us to do. So my... I would say we have these, at least these different ideas in this room. Some of us in this room have been super disappointed. We've been like that lady where we've been so disappointed. I don't know whether it's on your relationships, whether it's maybe you feel like God called you to a certain ministry and you never got to do it and it's just not working out. You don't know what's going on and you're so disappointed. You're just, you're just done. You just can't take the pain anymore of one, one more disappointment. And God is saying to you today, come on, ask one more time. Say yes one more time. I wasn't saying no. I was just saying, hold on. I have something better. Hold on. I've got, I've got things lined up. I've got an intersection up here, but if you turn now, you're just going to be in a ditch. But if you hold on a second, I got an intersection for you to turn at. And I set that intersection up. You're not supposed to turn back here. Turn up here. And then there are some people who nothing's happened and you think it's more spiritual if you just wait for God to do it all. You know, I've done that sometimes. I've been so worried about failing and I didn't want to mess it up, so I just didn't do it. You know, but in both of these stories, people had to do things to get what God wanted to give them. It wasn't works, but it was obedience. I'm not trying to be crass, but this child was not immaculately conceived. There was a partnership that had to happen for her to get pregnant, you know, when, when, Jesus, when, when, when Jesus is at the wedding and they're out of wine, he didn't just go, you know, and make the wine. He said, go do this. And Mary's line in this whole thing is mother is almost my favorite line in the whole story when she just says, do whatever he tells you. Mary represents the Holy Spirit. Just do whatever he tells you. Just say yes, whatever he tells you. It might look silly. Don't you know they felt silly? They're thinking, don't you know? They were like, why? Everybody already washed their hands. How come we're filling these things up? And then they're like, go take this to the front. You know, don't you know? And they're like, we're going to take it to the front headmaster. And, and I don't know if it already looked like wine or not yet, but if it didn't, don't you know they were like, we're going to get fired? Just do whatever he tells you. I think that's another way we keep ourselves from disappointment. When we say, I just want God to do it. Well, good for you. It's probably not going to happen. 
Because God's waiting for a partner. We've been given the best wine for last. What are we going to do with it? He's lining everything up. What are we going to do with it? It's really not complicated. I'm not trying to give you something to strive over. I'm just really encouraging you. Be full of the Spirit. Do whatever he says. He's lined everything up. You've probably had prophecies for years and you've wondered, like, when is that going to happen? How's that going to happen? Was that wrong? Was that a bad word? Probably not. Might have been. Shannon told a story last night about that couple. Said they were going to give us a billion dollars. They're both dead. Plot twist. Okay, you're so serious. It's okay. (laughs) Good Lord, they went to heaven. They're okay. (laughs) We're okay. But you know what? I can't say they never partnered, but their financial situation and honestly, their their orphan spirit was so huge on them. Had they gotten the money that she tried, and she did try repeatedly to, to get it, it was a real deal. And there were multiple, multiple deals. I never knew there was so much money in the world until we were with them during this time. Honestly, it, it just would have been such a train wreck. And I don't think God was trying to withhold. He was just waiting for preparation. He was waiting for them to become mature enough to handle what he wanted to give them. Right? Read the story of the talents. God doesn't want you crushed under what he gives you. So, I want to encourage you and challenge you, and I also somehow want to put you at rest at the same time. Does that make sense? Because God has a call on this body. And he's going to shift a region. And you're going to be a huge part of that. So I want you to be excited about the adventure. I I don't want you to be striving about working your way into his grace or his favor. Because you can't do that. And you'll burn yourself out. You'll burn yourself out so fast. So. Ah. Huh. Another plot twist. Let me just read you this really quickly. This is great. So, traditionally, in Jewish tradition, guess who the Shunammite's son is thought to be in Jewish tradition? The one she had to wait for so long, the one that died, that came back to life? Habakkuk, the prophet. Let me just read you a little bit what Habakkuk said, and then we'll close. Because this is, this is the perspective that Habakkuk had. Things weren't going well. Things looked terrible. All this. And in the book of Habakkuk, he goes and he says, I will stand at my watch and I will station myself on the ramparts and I will look to see what he will say to me and, and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, write the revelation down. That's really important. Write your prophetic words down. Write them down because you need to fight with them, not against them. Use them as as weapons to fight with. Write the revelation down and make it plain on tablets so so that a herald may run with it. For 
The re- it's so good. You want to hear? Okay. So the revelation awaits an appointed time. Supposedly, this is the young man who was raised from the dead, who his mama waited on him beyond past the time that she thought she could. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come, and it will not delay. Then he says in chapter 3, verse 2, he says, Lord, I've heard of your fame, and I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. He's crying out for revival. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. And in wrath, remember mercy. This country is a mess, but remember mercy. Bring revival. He's crying out for revival. And then in verse 17, I love this. He says this. Though the fig tree does not bud, though there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. Somehow, Habakkuk knew the importance of waiting. He knew the importance of God's timing because he was a product of it. So stand up with me. So, If you're like I am at all, some of us in this room have some repenting to do. Yeah, I think that's laughable. Here's the deal. God's not looking for you to do, you know, penance and beat yourself up and disqualify yourself. He's just saying, are you done? You know, are you, are you, can you just be done being disappointed? Can you just give me another chance? Can you just believe that maybe you were wrong about what I was doing and you misunderstood? So can you, can you get back up on the horse and let's do this thing? So some of us need to repent because we, we accuse God of things he did not do. And we gave up. Some of us need to repent because we decided this was all God's job and we were going to be super spiritual and not do it. We're not going to do anything. We're just going to let God do it all. And then we can get in on the glory of that. So some of us need to repent of that and you need to do what God's asking you to do. Whatever that looks like, do what God's asking you to do. doesn't have to be big. Might be small, might be big. I don't know. Just do it. Do whatever he says. And then some of us, you've hung in there. You haven't really given up, but you are tired. And you're a little confused. And, And God's not mad at either one of those. He's not mad at the other stuff. He just wants you on board with him. So today we just speak refreshing over your lives. We speak a fresh wind in this place, a fresh wind of of excitement, of adventure, of hope, of revelation, of what to do. God, bring your revelation in every, and just in even little things. Bring your revelation of what we're supposed to do in this region.
let us, let us hear your voice so clearly that when you say go this direction or go that direction, you don't have to yell. Your word says you guide us with your eye. You don't, you don't even need to necessarily speak. Let us know you so well and abide in you so completely that when we look in your eye, so to speak, we know what you're thinking because we know your heart and we know who you are. Let us be guided by your eye. I really do speak refreshing over some of you. Some of you are, you've really, you've waited a long time. You got something? Yeah. I, I just want to break off the disappointment of past seasons where um, it's just immobilized you. And so we break off that thing that was spoken into your life that you thought was supposed to happen like now, but it hasn't happened. And then the enemy has grabbed hold of that and use it as a weapon against you. And we break it off. We just break it completely off because, like we said yesterday, God doesn't speak prophetic destiny in your life to frustrate you. He doesn't. He's bringing you into fullness and completion. He who began a good work in you is faithful to bring it to completion. And so I bless you with the destiny of God that he's put in your heart and put on your life. And... Uh, for this house, I break off um, any anxiety and any striving that you have to make something happen in order to prove your worth or your value. Yeah. God is going to just, it, it, he's creating a spirit of ease for you. That doesn't mean easy, <laughs> but it does mean contentment at heart. Where you, you walk and you work out of a place of rest rather than striving. And so we just cancel any striving that's happening in your lives where you just feel like, I just don't know, we just got to make things happen. And he's already made it happen. He's just waiting for these windows for you to step into for fulfillment. So, yeah. Yeah, we do. We bless what God's doing in this house. This will sound silly to you, but it's just how I am. I actually, while you were praying over him, I actually saw, remember the little, if you've ever seen The Wizard of Oz, remember the scene when they come out of that horrible forest? And they're on the yellow brick road, and they're all going, we're out of the woods, we're out of the dark, we're into the light. You know, they're just like, tick, 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 tick. and I'm like, oh, that's us. This is you guys. <laughs> I mean, the journey's over, just, but we, we bless what God's called you to. We bless what God's called you to. Yesterday, when we were having coffee with the women, uh, Quinn was mentioning how they how a topic came up and she was mentioning how in the gymnastics you're already in prepped you're ready for your routine you've practiced and practiced practiced you're ready but you have to wait until the judge okays you and salutes you and then you know that you can go and it reminded me of quite a while ago I read just a little blurb and they were talking about how originally saluting was actually a blessing and I just got this picture of all of us. You guys are prepped. You're ready. You've worked on it. You know what you're doing. But you have to wait for the judge to bless you and say, take the floor. So we're not the final judge, but we do. Shannon and I join with. We join with God and say, we bless you. We bless you. Take the floor. Take the land. Yeah? 
Yeah. You guys are awesome. Bless you, bless you, bless you so much. Amen. Amen. So good. I, I will just remind you, if you want to sew into Shannon and Nancy's life and ministry, make sure you mark it on the envelope, put it in the box, go to the Church Center app, go to hvwc.com. Special events, conferences, just put it in there. It's all going to them. Uh, we don't keep any of that. And thank you, of course, Shannon and Nancy. What a powerful time. Um, and I'm, I'm glad there's a little more coming for some of us. But um, we're so grateful for you. And, you know, there's a, um, it's really nice when, you've, when you're with tribe, when you're with family that gets you and understands the call and destiny on the house, sometimes better than you do. And so uh, we're so blessed uh, that you guys would speak into our house, and we receive it fully. We, we receive it. No, really. Church, we receive it. Amen. We receive it. Awesome. Well, bless you guys. Have a wonderful time. Thank you for joining us today. Harvest Valley Worship Center is called to be a refuge for healing and a launch pad for transformation. If this message impacted you today, please let us know in a comment, or you can email us at media at hvwc.com. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you.